was set now. Um, so this is recording um, on the first day of the first workshop for the touch narrative, narrative of touch, um, Displa. So is it called touch narrative? I think it should be called touch narrative. Okay, cool. Touch yeah. narrative. Okay, okay. cool. Um, um, okay, so today was the first workshop. We were with Emma Jane Hines all day. Um, and my objective coming into the workshop today was to discover how we're going to use action mm. and the descriptive language of action yeah. in what will ultimately be a printed object. So the end, pro yeah, the end product is sure. going to be a performative text okay. that's published, mm -hmm. and the objective is that the audience member yeah. takes on the role of both narrator and participant within the experience of the text. Right. So, because of lockdown and because we're not allowed to touch and interact. Mm. Um, because theatres are closed, because you can't use a VR headset in a public space, we had to think of other ways to create the text, to create the, the, the narrative of touch, and we came up with the idea of turning it into a text piece. Basically a book and a audio I don't, piece. I don't see it as a book. I see, see it as a, t um, a piece of art. It's an object. And okay. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah. It's not a traditional book. Sure. It's more of a performative text that's published. Okay. So, what have you been doing? Like, what have you been doing today? So today we spent Who? on Emma Jane Hines and myself spent the whole Who day. Are you? <laughs> I'm Lenny Valbridis. Hello, from Displa, and Kaz and I. That's me are going to try and recap everything that happened in the day uh -huh. at the end of the session because we will both forget what happened otherwise. Um, so I went away for the weekend to work on the text and Kaz and I have decided to have 12 moments and these 12 moments depict 12 different touch narratives that a person can go through in their life. So it's um, it's looking at how, with an economy of language, you can create a time capsule through a person's life. And we start at two and we finish at 40. And these moments in a mm. person's life are depicted over these 12 steps or these 12 moments. And each moment is colored by the experience of touch and the exploration of how touch narrates our experience of that memory. So in the piece, which is quite a provocative and feminist discourse, we're trying to ask the question of when is a woman's body her own? And it, and how does it um, how does it travel through their life? So from being a child, being their mother and their father's child, having their first experience of independence when they go to school, having their first experience of sexuality, having their first um, 
experience of rebellion. So we go through all of the key stages of childhood, adolescent, adulthood, even down to the the main character in the narrative, giving birth and becoming a mother themselves. So it's really the circle of life from, we try to cover it from the age of two, like I said, up until about 40. And the key thing I ask throughout the text is, is 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 the female body always a possession of either their mother or the male characters that are in their life or the people of authority that are in the female's life so today we started on moment 1 when the child is 2 and they're with their mother and they're in the park and it's all very innocent and then that child experiences for the first time a moment of resistance when they want to run and be free and their mother catches them and holds them close and brings them into their embrace and we wanted to get in between this moment of where you're out on the fields and you're running and you're free and then you're captured you're captured by your mother who puts her arms around you and something that should be so loving as the arms of a mother around her child are experienced as are experienced as um, a, a moment of suffocation um, so here in the studio is my daughter Ayara Mariva Redis Bletska hello She's currently giving mama a cuddle yeah and now she's giving me a shoulder cuddle um and it was actually that was the idea that made me think of this moment where i do squeeze my daughter really tightly like sometimes i want to eat her and consume her again and sometimes iera says mommy that's too tight it's too much um and it got me thinking about about this moment where the mother needs that physical contact and the child is desperate for freedom. Um, so, I mean, this brings up perspective. Um, so you're obviously writing this from the age you are and but you're imagining a world when you were two. Do you, can you give an impression of what you remember when you were two rather than what you're imagining your daughter felt when she was two? I think all of the pieces of text mm. are re reimagined moments. Mm. So nothing is ever factual, mm. but everything comes from a a moment of truth. Mm. And through performative language you exaggerate and you explore and you dissect. Sure, but um what's what do you remember when you were two? Um, I don't remember being two. I do remember being a bit younger. And my first memory is learning how to walk and falling into a swimming pool. And with memory, you don't know if that's something you remember or that you remembered remembering. But you don't really ever remember if it's just a picture you saw in an album and so, I, th- I think this is quite interesting as well. It's so tangible. 
like memory is so tangible and it made me think about touch can I make the experience of touch as tangible as the the experience of memory Mm. and one of the key and most challenging things about this performative text that we're making is to try and find the balance between instructing the audience member to follow a series of actions and to give that audience member enough space to actually explore their own body mm-hmm. so the the finished object like i mentioned earlier is going to be a public a publication of this performative text of a series of monologues followed by a series of actions that we want the audience yeah. to recreate so i mean today you had um, emma jane hines and you working throughout the whole day um, to, I guess, basically, yeah, figure out what what to write down, what to um, write alongside the written part that you've already done. The text. Um, <clears throat> did you see any benefit in today? In, I mean, basically, because this is basically bringing in this actress um, is allowing you to expand your idea of what you want to input, what you want to put down on paper. Yeah. Um, what did What did you find today? So having Emma in the room doesn't just give you um, the opportunity to develop the writing. For me, it also gives me the opportunity to create the space Mm -hmm. so that I've created the space where I can actually start to answer the questions that I have about the writing that last week I couldn't Mm -hmm. answer those questions. So the instinct is to create the action that illustrates the text and that was Emma's first gut feeling even though I said at the beginning we don't have to illustrate the text Mm. through our movement instinctively I think for performers and for dancers instinctively that is the first place to go yeah I mean the videos that I saw was you know so um what is it at the start um that she's running down the hill and she starts literally running she's running on the spot you know feet tapping away and everything and yeah, I guess my first thought on this was that it. we need to focus on the abstract. But yeah, please carry on, sorry. Yeah, and I think, again, everything's about process. So mm-hmm. the creative person in the room, who's the, the actor, they need the space to mm-hmm. play out the obvious so that they can then discover sure. the new. Yeah. Um, and that was the same with me. I had to, like you describe my writing sometimes as really cheesy, and you have yeah. to put in the cheese so that you can remove the cheese. You have to know, like, what can you say and what can you still say with less words in the same way that a dancer will give everything and then you strip it back. Less movement, less movement, uh-huh. less movement. It's the same with writing. You kind of put... You have to start somewhere and the somewhere that people start, the, the starting point is always the obvious point right so you let people start at the obvious point yeah oh you want your drawing um you oh, let, just asked for her drawing back so you start at the obvious point yeah. and then you strip back and that's really useful to be able to edit so we're basically editing live mm-hmm. in the rehearsal room we're editing live and it's not just the language that we're learning how to edit 
we're also learning how to edit something very new that we haven't done before, which is writing out action that we want the audience to read out. And then it brings up questions of, well, who is the audience? If the audience is coming from a creative background or a movement background or a performance background or an artistic background, they might naturally be able to play this game because in effect it is a game. We are giving someone a performative text that the only way to experience it is by performance talk a little bit more about um that transition where you started where emma started you said the obvious so the obvious idea of sort of when when you've written down run you she runs um (laughs) and where you got to at the end of the day so yeah in the in the morning in the first session it was about illustrating what was already said as words into action and then after lunch we were ripping all of the detail back all of the figurative stuff all the way back to the point that everything was a tiny little movement of the hand so what had been a hill a hilltop at the at the beginning of the day became an erect hand and the erect hand was the hilltop and what was running down the hill as physical running action became the hand sliding down Mm -hmm. the arm so something as simple as a kid at the top of the hill literally became right hand strokes left hand all the way to the fingertip and then slides all the way back down to the elbow and that was really exciting because then it became something else it became more than just an illustration of the text Mm -hmm. it became a discovery of the body the body as the landscape the body not only as the battleground and the subject matter for the text but also the landscape of the language it sounds like you're creating quite um a literal i I think that's right word little visual and almost childish um rendition of uh of of the text in that you are you're creating the physicality that the, the picture out of your hand like you're creating the hill and the slide and and all that kind of stuff yeah um, it was very that... very childish and very playful and i think a really nice first day for the performer hmm. and i think that joy that the performer experienced would also be an experience that would be mirrored by the audience member or the participant whatever you want to call them when they are yeah in their home with this object this beautiful book object that they are performing to themselves by reading out the performative text and the action to themselves what we're trying to do is give that audience member the experience not only of being a voyeur of a performance Mm -hmm. but the joy of being the performer so that they are experiencing this performative text both internally as the performer as well as externally by listening to the audio of the text Mm. so as well as it being an object a book we're also thinking about having it as an audio piece either a record or uh, an mp3 file that you can access through the internet when you scan your your um you are qr qr code so we're thinking about still creating an immersive experience because originally it was going to be a live interactive xr experience with a headset and a live performer in a physical space at the park theater Mm. 
And now that we've, we're all in COVID and the theatres are closed, we're thinking about how can we still create that immersive experience mm. at home? Yeah. And how do you do that when someone doesn't have all of the technology, they don't have a headset? You know, how do you do that? The easiest way to do that is through the audio. Um, yeah, audio in your imagination. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. what we're trying to do through the, this week of R&D is mm. to try and find the language to communicate directly to the audience because yeah. the monologue is easy. Everyone's used to reading monologues and scripts and plays and poetry. And it automatically, even when you're reading it at home, you're performing it in your head when you're reading mm. a novel. So the audience are very accustomed to reading and imagining, but audience aren't accustomed to reading a series of instructions and acting out those instructions and experiencing a performative experience in their own home where they're responsible for being both the audience and the director and 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 the technician because they've got to press play and put the record on and get the book out and sit down and put their lamp on and get ready to experience this performative text that they're going to play by themselves or maybe if they're living with someone, maybe someone mm. else will be playing the game with them. One thing I guess that came up for me just then was um, how if you were being told to um, you were reading something and it was telling you to move your left hand over your right arm and slowly draw it down to your elbow, down to your wrist, down to your the tip of your fingers... How would you feel about being told to do that? That this person is directing you? I think if I had purchased this object from mm. the ICA gallery, because that's where I see this thing existing. Sure. I don't think I would act out the action. I think I'd end up just reading it. So the action might be explore your wrist and okay. explore your wrist for a, for a minute. Mm -hmm. I think my natural instinct would be just to read read that out yeah, yeah, and too. originally when we were thinking of giving the audience you know like maybe one to ten actions that they had to mm -hmm. to to follow yeah i imagined them sitting there and just going stand up sit down pull your sleeve up touch your wrist yeah. and it was going to be something that was read i think if we can find a way to actually make the audience follow the action mm-hmm the experience will just be heightened so much. And maybe it's a case of the first time they don't do it, the first time they just read read everything out. Or maybe they yeah. go online to see if anyone else has actually filmed themselves doing it. And then it becomes more of like a, it has the capacity to become like a viral thing where maybe, you know, people are posting on Instagram themselves playing this game. Or maybe we film an actor doing it online and someone who isn't quite sure how to do it or feels nervous or isn't really a theatre person or an arty person. Maybe it's my mum or your dad and they're not quite confident with having to be so performative. Sure. Maybe the instinct is to go online and see how other people do it. So maybe it goes from a book that you've purchased that you sit there and you read to not actually reading it you've got the book as an object but you prefer to watch someone else doing it one thing you um that's coming up is that a lot of this is all directed 
you are telling the audience member. The audience member is finding someone else to tell them how to do it, what to do. They're reading it and they're being told what to do. In terms of um, your feminist perspective, the, the, the female gaze, uh, how um, is that part of it? Is that why you're doing that? Is that are you making the, the the audience member going? I am telling you what to do. This is a confusing. You need to find someone to tell you and guide you and lead you and control you. So originally that was the intention. So, you know, it was like we were going to have all the instructions and the audience members would have to follow the instructions and the instructions are being given to them by the author of this piece of performative text. Then Emma said today it'd be really nice if the person engaging with the text had more freedom because we're saying as women Mm. we don't have freedom over our body or we don't have as much freedom over our body that we want. So when she said it would be really nice if whoever's reading it has the freedom to explore as much of their own body or as little of their own body as they like, that kind of was a game changer because my question was then answered, how much text, how much direction do we give the audience in the actions from we had, we, you know, for the first monologue, we had like maybe 15 different steps of movement Mm. To now being able to associate each monologue with one body part. Mm. So toddler, two years old, the area that the audience is going to explore and discover is going to be their wrist and they're going to play with their wrist and find new ways to touch their wrist and to feel Mm. the backs of their wrists and the middle of the wrist and to use their fingers to touch their wrist and to use the, you know, like to use their arm to feel their wrist. Isolating each monologue to one part of the body yeah. really resonated with me. I think it resonated with Emma as well. She started talking about yoga and yoga references where they make you focus on one part of your body. Sure. So I think that's really fun. And that's what we're going to be doing tomorrow, like focusing just on one part of the body and to try and identify 12 different parts of the body that represent the 12 different moments that this character goes through. Okay. Um, as a little experiment, I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to um, touch your wrist. I want you to tell me what your skin means to you. What the feeling means. So I remember my skin feeling a lot more oily so the first thing I'm quite conscious of is how dry my wrist is and I'm using the back of one hand and stroking the wrist of another and I'm just using my wrist and my forearms to explore my wrists on both hands so yeah the first thing is how dry my skin is The next, I'm now using my fingertips to touch the top of my wrist and I'm very aware of my goosebumps as I'm doing this. And almost how for a second, I don't know what I'm touching. So in that very split second, I had no concept of where my wrist began and ended. It felt infinite and that's quite interesting in a moment to be able to feel 
like an, a sense of like enormity. And I guess that's the synesthesia that very quickly you go from wrist to something more otherworldly. Um, now I'm quite aware of the fine hairs on my arm. And then again, my imagination has fallen into my skin. I feel like I'm in my skin. And the colours are starting to change. So from the density of endless space, which was black, when I felt the hairs, I then saw white. And I felt like I had fallen into my skin.